Praise the Lord. If you would, stand to your feet with me and open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. As you do that, our children are dismissed to their core kids' classes. The book of Colossians chapter 3. Hmm. Colossians 1, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I said Colossians 3. I'm ready to finish, finish the series already. Colossians chapter 3, chapter 1, chapter 1. We are in chapter 1, verse 9, verse 9. 3 is nowhere in there at this point. So, yeah, the Trinity, there it is, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. When you got it, say so. And it says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with knowledge, with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great, great love that you remind us of today as we worship your name. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you for reminding us of your greatness and who you are, God. And this morning we bow to you and we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. God, I pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts, that you would captivate them with your truth. And I pray that we would not just hear what you are saying, but that we would respond to it in faith and obedience. God, be glorified in the preaching and hearing of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand, hold it up. The ushers will be sure to get you an outline. As always, it's very important to me that you have an outline so you can follow along with me in the introduction. The main points are there in the outline as well. Um, secondly, it's important to me that you take notes. Notes are really important because you are not going to remember everything that you hear. And so writing notes down will help you to reference what it is that you're hearing. And I'll just throw something in there when I talk about taking notes and when you hear something and I pray this that you would hear and obey I would encourage you to take these notes home and sit down with them and go over them in your devotional time with the Lord and be reminded of what it is that you felt the Lord was speaking to you because there are some questions that are in there what do you feel the Lord is speaking to you and how are you going to apply this or live this out and then thirdly as I always remind you you are a disciple of Jesus and so as a disciple of Jesus you are called to make disciples and the way that you make disciples is by either A, bringing someone to faith in Christ, or B, building someone's faith in Christ. And the way that you build someone's faith in Christ is by sharing God's word with them. And so you can sit down with a coworker, you can sit down with a neighbor, you can sit down with a friend, and you can go ahead and go over what it is that you are learning on Sundays. And that way they will get to know what you're learning. You will learn it better, and you'll be accountable for what you're learning. Because if I tell you I learned this and I'm not living that, that makes me what? A hypocrite. So we don't want to be hypocrites. Amen. 
We want to be disciples of Jesus who are faithful to obey. And so I hope that you will recognize that God has placed you somewhere so that way you can be a faithful and effective disciple maker. So in your outline there, we have one paragraph today, but one of the most important factors in the life of the church is its devotion to prayer, right? Its devotion to prayer is the, one, one of the main factors, one of the most important factors in the life of the church. When you look at the church in the book of Acts, you find that this was a church that was prayerful. They were prayer-filled. They were a people who were given to prayer, right? They were praying often and always. And so when I talk about uh, this being a measurement, I'm not just talking about prayer meetings, which are biblical and important, but they are only moments, and so we have Friday nights and we've designated time, a time of prayer and we're praying for specific things on each of those Fridays. And so my prayer and my hope is that you will come, that you will join with the other believers and that you will be present in those nights. If you can make every Friday, praise the Lord, but if there's at least one Friday a month that you can make that you really feel passionate about a specific thing, a specific topic that is being prayed for, then I encourage you to come out and pray and seek the Lord. But I will say this, that is not the only marker of evidence that we of our devotion to prayer. Our devotion to prayer is about us as individuals being given to prayer. And so if you look at the next part of this paragraph here, we need to be given to prayer. Not just praying once in a while, but being given to prayer, unceasing prayer, desperate prayer, and faith-filled prayer that wars against our doubts. How many of you ever have doubts? Anybody in here ever, ever struggle with any kind of doubts in your mind, wondering sometimes what God's will is, what God's purpose is? Well, you know what? You just saw those hands go up. You know what you should be doing? You should be praying for your brothers and sisters that they would not have doubts in their heart, and you would not have doubts in your heart, but that you're praying against those doubts that that, we, that, that this prayer is, is against what? The enemy's deceptions. How many of you guys know that the enemy is a liar? And how many know that he wants to deceive you? He wants you to believe things that are not true. He, since the beginning, that has been his plan, his ploy. That has been what he has done. The first words that we have recorded out of the enemy's mouth were what? Lies that were brought forth as though they were truth. That is the same thing that he does. He does not change. His tactics, his ways of doing things do not change. And so we pray against doubt. We pray against the enemy's deceptions. And we also pray for what? For the believer's faith to grow in Christ, that faith would be growing. So how many of you know that, that we have to be part of that process? We can't just expect someone else to be praying for us, expect someone else to pray, but we all have to be engaged in this process of prayer. This is what we see in the Apostle Paul's heart. And so here's the big idea that I have for you this morning. Unceasing prayer for the growing faith of others is at the heart of disciple making. Unceasing prayer for the growing faith of others is at the heart of disciple making. And so you hear that often. We talk about making disciples. I talk, I talk about making disciples. It's about bringing people to faith in Jesus. It's about building people's faith in Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple maker. But at the heart of being a disciple, of being a disciple maker, of seeing people's faith grow is unceasing prayer. 
The Apostle Paul was, was, was a good communicator. We read 13 books in the New Testament that were written by him. He was a man that was bold in the faith, but he is also a man that we find in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 as he goes through the armor of God and he says to pray for all of the saints. He also says, and pray for me that the door for the gospel will be open. The Apostle Paul understood something, that there is a spiritual battle that is going on, and the way that we engage that battle is on on our knees, on our faces, crying out to God, declaring his word, and praying the power of the Spirit of God into the lives of those that we are either reaching with the gospel or building in the gospel. Prayer is at the heart of making disciples. And if we, if we struggle, you know, every week I, I talk about you making disciples, and some of you, you hope that I forget to say that. I know you do because I see your faces. I, I, I can actually see beyond your face. I can see that blank stare that's like, yes, he's not talking to me right now. He's not talking to me. He doesn't know that I'm not making disciples. Listen, I don't need to know you're not making disciples. I know the struggle is real. I know that it's a difficult scenario. You're like, man, he says this every week. And then you think, because I know some of you, you try to be obedient, right? And you're like, okay, God, who is it you want me to disciple? And by the time Tuesday comes, you forgot about that. Right? Maybe even by Monday morning, like you forgot because you forgot your coffee, and so you forget that you're supposed to be making disciples. And then Thursday comes, Friday comes, Sunday's again. Oh man, I can't believe. And so listen, here's what I want to tell you is I don't want you to feel condemned when I talk about you making disciples because that is something that we should be doing. But what I want to challenge you to do is to make prayer a priority and praying to God for those coworkers, those people around you, and for Him to give you wisdom. Because here's the thing: if you and I try to make disciples, in our own strength, it will never work. Understand this. Disciple making is not about my ability. It's not about my gifting or calling. It's about a work of the Spirit of God in and through my life. And I want you to know God wants to work through every one of your lives in the area of making disciples. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our unceasing prayer for others must be collective and consistent. Our unceasing prayer for others must be collective and it must be consistent. Look at the beginning of verse 9. It says, for this reason. What reason? He's connecting the thoughts, right? Everything we talked about last week. For this reason, because we heard of your faith, because we heard of your love, because of the hope that you have in Christ, because of these things, since we heard these things, we also say we. He didn't say I, he said we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask. And, this, and so look what he does. He says first and foremost that it is not just him, but it is him and his company. It is him and those around him that have heard of the faith of the people that are there in Colossae. And he said, from the moment that we heard this, from the moment we heard this testimony, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's what he's saying. He's saying we're unceasingly praying for you, which, by the way, is the title of the message this morning, Unceasing Prayer. They unceasingly prayed for them. They prayed for them continually. I want you to notice something that we, this, this again, and we, and we talked about this in the first week, but this is one of Paul's prison epistles, which means that Paul wrote this epistle to the people in Colossae when he was in prison. How many of you know that being incarcerated is not fun? Right? Some of you by experience, Hello? Some of you are like, I never want to experience that. Amen. 
But can I tell you something? The prison system today is much more comfortable than the prison system back in the day. Right? Like this, like this prison system that we have today was much better, right? Like you have rights as a prisoner, right? Like back in those days, uh, not so much. And I want you to realize why is this important? Because a man who was imprisoned was doing what? He was praying for others. A man who was, in, who was in a situation where he was constrained, where most of the time he was tied, he was locked, locked down to a prison guard, he was connected. And this man, when he got together with those who came for visitation, hello somebody, he wasn't saying, man, it's so rough in here, man. Yo, this is, I, can't, I can't wait to get out. Like, he wasn't all about that. He was about what? Praying for those who are hurting. Praying for those who are in the midst of being, uh, or being tried to be deceived. He was praying for them. How, why does that matter to us? Because you know what it shows us? It shows us the mindset we should have no matter what we're going through. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we are experiencing, we should be the kind of people that are thinking about others. Hello, somebody. Not just consumed. See, because what happens to us, and this is what the enemy wants us to do, he wants us to be so consumed with our immediate circumstances that the only thing we can think about, the only thing we can pray for, the only thing that we can be concerned about is what is going on in the four walls of my life, and we never think outside. But the apostle Paul shows us an example. He says, look, I'm writing to you, and I'm letting you know that since the moment we heard this, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to seek you. So listen, no matter what we're going through, we should be thinking about brothers and sisters outside of us. We should be thinking about those that are, in over, that are overseas and that are over there giving their lives for the gospel. We should be thinking about those brothers and sisters that are walking in their faith right next to us and that we are praying for their faith to grow in a certain way. Notice there are two words here that are used. The first one he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. And that word prayer there is a Greek word, prosukamai, and what that word means is it simply means to address God or to petition God, to ask God about a specific thing. So it's to talk to God, and so that's general prayer. But then this other word there, when it says ask, it is the word atio in the Greek, and that word is a different word. That word means to beg. That word means to crave. That word means to desire. It has the implication almost of a type of demand, and let me just say this because I've heard plenty of preachers and people praying, and, and I'm not saying in here, I'm just talking in general in my years of experience, where they seem to have like this thought where they put a demand on God. Listen, I don't know where they got that thought from, but there was nowhere in the Bible that any apostle, that any prophet, that anyone put a demand on God, like you can demand God to do what you want him to do. Are you here? But there should be an urgency in prayer and a confidence in your prayers. Like when you come to God, you know who God is. Therefore, I have a confidence of what I'm asking of him. I know that he wills to do certain things. I know that he wants to do certain things. I know that he promises certain things. Therefore, I have an urgent or I have a, 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 a sincere belief, a sincere confidence, a sincere faith that God wants to act in these particular ways. And not only do I have a confidence, but there is also urgency. Amen. And see, the apostle Paul shows both. He shows a confidence in the things we're going to look at in a moment that he prayed, but he also had an urgency. Let me ask you a question. Let's just pause and think for a moment, right? How urgent are you in prayer? 
How are, listen, I, you know, I know sometimes we think about like the condition of our nation. You know, we think about the condition of our youth. We think about the scenarios that are going on in our life. I mean, listen, if you go on Facebook and, you know, you see stuff that's going on and that's happening around us. I mean, you're in your schools. I mean, you know, right now looking at situations in schools, you know, my wife and I, you know, she was in, almost in tears the other day. And she was like, man, you know, the, the, the fear that is there for some parents, you know, when they, when they send their children to school, like, man, are they coming home today? Right? But let me ask you something. How much urgency is there in your prayers? How much urgency is there that you are on your face before God on a consistent basis talking to the creator of heaven on behalf of every broken situation, of every broken person, of everything? How urgent are you in prayer? Are you just like, man, this is a bad world. Man, it's rough out there. Man, the struggle is real. Or are you like, God, you are mighty. You are powerful. You are able. You are greater than all of this darkness. You have the power in the ability. I mean, like, where are we when it comes to this? Because you know what? The apostle Paul, he was given to a consistent. I said that our prayer has to be what? It has to be collective, and it has to be consistent. And so what do I mean by that? As a practice, we should be getting together with other believers to pray for other believers. Hello. It should be normative for us that we pray one for another together with one another. So when we gather together, you know, like we have Connect. There's sign-ups that are out there today for you to sign up to get connected and to be part of growing together. But here's something that should happen. Within your time that you connect, there should be a time that you pray. There should be a time that you are interceding before God. And not just in that time. What about when you together as a family and you're talking about the brokenness of your world? You're talking about the hurting in your world. Do you take a moment and say, man, you know what? Let's stop talking about this and let's talk to God about this. The urgency, the confidence that has to be there, it has to be collective and it has to be consistent. Because what? Because when we talk about engaging people where they are, building faith in Christ, what are we saying? Every week we say that and it's about us making disciples. It is about us engaging. This is what making disciples is. It's about engaging people where they are. So we're, well, some people are lost. Some people are rebellious. Some people don't want anything to do with God. We engage them where they are. Some people are struggling Christians going through hardship and difficulty difficulty in their life. We engage them where they are. Some people, they think they're walking on water. Hello, somebody. And we engage them where they are. There's some people on the mountain highs and some people in the valley lows, but we engage them where they are. And no matter where they are, if they're walking on water, we want to say to them, what? Keep looking at Jesus. Stop looking at yourself. If they're, in the, if they're in the valley, we want to tell them, keep looking at Jesus, stop looking at yourself. When they're on the mountaintop, we want to tell them what? Keep looking at Jesus, don't look at yourself. You need to, we are doing what? Building faith in Christ. But can I tell you something? Making disciples has to be a Holy Spirit empowered thing. It's not your ability and my ability. That is why unceasing prayer is so important to us making disciples. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, our unceasing prayer for others must be specific. Our unceasing prayer for others must be specific. I want you to notice that they were not all over the place in their prayers. They were praying in an unceasing manner, but they prayed with, with precision and specificity. They prayed with precision, and they were specific about what they were asking God for. They were asking God specific things for the lives of those believers. And here's what I want you to know. If you're taking notes, you should write this down. But our prayers for others must be directed towards 
towards God. They must be inspired by the Spirit of God, and they must be informed by the Word of God. I'll say that again. If you're taking notes, write this down for real. If our prayers for others must be directed towards God. We're not praying to man. We're not praying to impress man. We are praying to the God of heaven, the creator of all things. That is who we are talking to. And, and our prayers need to be inspired by the Spirit. Not just my will, not just my desires, not just what I'm feeling, but they need to be Spirit-led, and they need to be informed by the Word of God. God's Word shows me what the will of God is. Therefore, I can pray in accordance to God's will because I know what God's Word says. See, when I'm praying for a marriage, you know what I'm praying? I'm not praying my will. I'm praying God's word. When I'm praying for my children, when I'm praying for your children, I'm not praying my will. I'm praying God's word. When I'm praying for our president, hello, somebody, I am not praying my will. I am praying God's will. I am praying God's word. When I'm praying for the next president, hello, somebody, I am praying God's will, not my will. I'm not trying to follow some social agenda. I'm following the word of God. Hello. I'm not following what pop psychology says. I'm not trying to pray that my kids be like this or this or this because society says it. I pray that my kids will be like God. I pray that my kids will walk in the ways of Christ. I pray that my children will follow the word of God, not what the culture says. That is how we pray. We pray inspired prayers. We pray God-led or God-focused prayers. And we pray prayers that are informed by the very word of God. And so what does Paul pray? And I love looking at prayers, and this is going to be the longest point that I make, but I love looking at the prayers of the apostle. And the reason why I say that is because when I look at the prayers of the apostle, I'm looking at someone who was mandated with writing the doctrines for the church. And so when I look at their prayers, it's kind of like looking at Jesus's prayers. Like when I look at John chapter 17 and I see what Jesus prayed, I have an idea of what I should pray. I know that I should pray in that way. And when I look at Paul's prayers, when I look at the Apostle Paul's prayers in the book of Ephesians, like we walked through there and we looked at his prayers, I know how to pray God's will because this apostle is praying the will of God. And so what is it, what is it that I should be praying for others? Here's the thing I want you to get is that we should not just be praying God bless them prayers. Are you here? Because a lot of us, we pray those prayers. We pray those, you know, God bless my sister, God bless them, God strengthen them, you know. And we just kind of like walk through that. Like it's like nonchalant, right? It's just general. But I, can, I, can, I, can I just confess to you, I hope and I pray that you're praying more than just general prayers for me. I need those prayers to be more than general. I need, I, I need those prayers to be more like, hey, bless Bishop. I, I hope you're praying. I have a family. Hello, somebody. Right? There's an enemy that hates me as much as he hates anyone else in the room. So there's struggles, there's battles, there's things that are going on in my life. And so I'm saying that because I don't, I'm, I'm talking about me right now. Like, I would hope you pray for me once in a while. Hello, somebody. Right? I mean, but, but, but your neighbor next to you needs more than a God bless them prayer. Oh, that's powerful. God bless. Yes, that's the most powerful thing you could say. But can I ask you something? Can you get a little deeper in prayer? Can you get just a little, I mean, I mean just, 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 just enter in a little bit more, press into the presence of God, just like press into, like, I mean, that, that's what I think we should be doing one for another because that is what Paul was moved to do. And so let's look at what his prayer looks like in verse 9. Look at the second part of verse 9. He asked what? He asked that you may be filled. Say filled. filled. 
with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so the first thing, and, I, and I'm going to run through these really quickly, but here, well, I'm, I'm saying really quickly. I'm going to run through them really quickly now, and then we're going to unpack them slowly. Um, but here's, but, but I, I want you, if you're taking notes, you can write this down as well. If you're praying for someone, you should pray for their spiritual growth. That should be one thing you're praying for, spiritual growth. Is something that you should be praying for. Another thing you should be praying for, according to this prayer, is a worthy walk. That they would walk worthy of the Lord. Another thing that you should be praying for is strength in faith. That their faith would be strengthened in God. And, and, and the last thing that I would say in this prayer shows us is that we would pray for an increased knowledge of God in their lives. And so the first thing that we see is spiritual growth. Can I tell you something? When we think about spiritual growth, it's not just that people would feel something. It's not that just people would sense something. It's not that people would feel a certain way, that they would feel spiritual. Spiritual growth is what? That they would have a full knowledge of the will of God. He said that they would be filled with the knowledge. Not that they would have like a little bit, but that they would be filled with the knowledge of God and, or the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom. That wisdom means what? The correct application of knowledge. That they'd be filled with the wisdom of God and the, and the will of God. That they would be filled with what? Spiritual knowledge. You know what spiritual does there? Spiritual changes the component of everything because it's not just natural knowledge. It's not just natural wisdom. It's not just a natural will. It is a spirit-inspired will. It is a spirit-inspired wisdom. It is a spirit-inspired knowledge. That's what God wants us to pray for in spiritual growth for our brothers and our sisters. That we would see spiritual growth in their lives. Part of making disciples is what? To help people grow spiritually. Listen, you need to pray for their spiritual growth. Spiritual growth doesn't come from cute words. Hello. Are you here? It doesn't come because you have all the answers. Listen, because I've had conversations with people, and I know for sure I had all the answers. They didn't grow one iota. Are you here? I mean, there's people that have asked me questions, and I tell you, man, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, in, I'm trying to engage people that I love and don't know Jesus. And man, I'm letting you know right now, you have to understand something. There is a spiritual battle that is going on in people's lives, and you and I have to get urgent in our prayers, praying that God would break the blindness off of their lives, that God would intervene and show them, because listen, you can have all of the answers, and guess what? They still walk away as, as blind as they did when they were talking to you. The second thing is a worthy walk. Look what he says in verse 10. In, the, in, in, in verse 10, he says, in the beginning of verse 10, he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we have four things here, and three of them we'll look at it separately. And look what he says. He says that you may walk worthy, and so we want to unpack that, to walk worthy, to have a worthy walk. Why is this so important? Because the purpose of knowing God's will is what? Is to walk in it. The purpose of knowing God's will isn't to say, well, I know his will. That's great. I mean, that's wonderful. It's awesome to know God's will. But if you're not going to do anything about it, listen, that is the reason why James says it is not enough to hear the word of God. You must do the word of God. Why? Because God's word is God's will. And when you are not obeying God's will, you are being fake. Hello, somebody. You are being deceived. Um, James says it clearly. Let no one deceive you. That Listen, if you think that you're doing what God wants because you're hearing. You know, I love the way that Minister Lewis dealt with communion this morning. Communion is not just a thing we check the box. It's a serious moment. It's something that is real. I mean, people die because they partook of communion in the wrong way. I mean, this is a reality. Here's the truth. The truth is for many of us, hearing the word of God on Sunday mornings is just a box we check. Well, I came to church, check. I sang some songs, check. I gave some money, check. I heard a preaching, check. It made me feel bad, check. But I didn't do anything outside of that. 
right? Check. That's why, listen, that's why the outline says, what do you think God has spoken to you? Listen, write one thing down that you think, and then what are you going to do about it? Because my heart is that you will be challenged to obey what God says. So a worthy walk is what? It is a walk that is worthy of him. As redeemed people of God, when you look up that word worthy, it's the word axios in the Greek, and it means weighty, right? Someone who's worthy. God has a certain weight to him. Hello, somebody. Right, like in boxing and wrestling and all these things, you know, weightlifting, all of that. Like they have weight classes, right? And you have like the super heavyweights. Hello, somebody. God is like that supernatural heavyweight. Glory to God, right? Like, like he's at a whole nother level when it comes to who he is. And what does he do? He brings a certain weight, a certain value into our lives. And you know what? Our lives should be an imitation of him because we are image bearers. And so we should bring a weight into the lives of others, a weight of conviction, a weight of grace, a weight of love, a weight of strength. We should bring that into our walk because we're obeying what his word says. So not only should our walk be that, but our walk should be one that is pleasing to the Lord. What is the vision of our church? For those of you that know this, it is to please the Lord. That's what it is. If you don't know, that is the reason why I'm preaching this morning. That's the reason why I'm here. That's the reason why this church exists. Because some 16 years ago, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me through the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and says what? It is, it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And that scripture began to stir up in my heart like, man, I know that I got to walk in, in obedience and live to please him. And that's the vision of my life. That's the vision of this church, that we live to please God. That we pause at everything that we do, that the decisions we make, that we think about, does this please God? Because you know what? The reality is we can do things that please us all the time. We can do things that we feel are pleasing to us, that make us feel good. That doesn't mean they're pleasing to God. And we have to ask ourselves that question, is what I'm doing, the decisions I'm making, the way that I speak, the, the things, are those things pleasing to God? To walk worthy is to live a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. Our walk must be fruitful in good works. Now, if I ask this question, I ask this question in the first service. Only one person raised their hand, so let's see how you all do. How many of you, if I were to ask you, what does it mean to be spiritually fruitful, you would be able to say, yes, I got that on lock. I know exactly what that means. Raise your hand if you say yes to that. You got it. Okay, so we got like four or five. How many of you would say, man, I don't know? Raise your hand if you're not, you're just not sure. You're not sure. It's okay. It's okay to be unsure, right? The rest of you are embarrassed. It's okay. Here's the thing. I'm going to help you out. When the Bible speaks about us bearing spiritual fruit, when it talks about being fruitful, what does it mean, right? What does it mean to be fruitful? What it means to be fruitful according to the New Testament, first of all, it means leading people to faith. That is being fruitful. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15, I don't have time to go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 16, meditate on that. Paul talks about bearing fruit in the lives of others. So when others come to faith, that is a fruit. And so a fruit of our lives is what? That other people come to faith in Jesus as a result of what? Our lives and not just our lives, our words. Are you here? Please understand this. Listen, there is some garbage teaching out there that, you know, you preach the gospel and use words, you know, if you have to. That is an oxymoron. You cannot preach the gospel without words. Are you here? No, you didn't get that. You cannot preach the gospel without words. It is good news. Hello, somebody. How about this? I want you to think about this. Turning to your favorite news channel, and they just sit there and stare at you. <laughs> and just look at you. They're like, yeah. They're going to sit there for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and they're not going to say anything. Are you going to be informed of anything? Absolutely not. No matter how. Look, they could play charades, and you might figure some stuff out, right? 
But the, I, I think that I, I think that you know what? That's a good revelation right there. I think that that is the new uh, the new era evangelism. It's charades evangelism. Are y'all ain't hearing me? That's what it is. It's charades evangelism. I'm going to live holy and you're going to figure out you need Jesus. Did you hear me? Listen, we're getting some stuff here this morning. It is going to be, it's charades evangelism. That's what it is. Charadalism. I like that. It's, it's, it's a new one. We have just added, right? That is the new era of evangelism. I'm just going to look good and people are going to realize, you know what? I think I need Jesus. Listen, you know what Paul said? Paul said, how are they going to believe if they do not hear? And how are they going to hear if someone, listen, if someone isn't, it doesn't preach to them, if someone doesn't communicate to them, how they, and how are they going to preach if they haven't been sent? Listen, Paul says, he says they, that faith comes by charades? No. He says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you are not talking, people are not hearing. So, a worthy walk is to do what? It is to be fruitful. We're fruitful in, in leading people to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Praising God. How about that one? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 talks about the fruit of our lips. Fruitfulness in our lives. Singing isn't just a part of a service. Singing is about a fruit of worship. It's a fruit of our lives. It's not supposed to be just a song. I mean, a long time ago, there was, this, there, there was a song. I, I, I'm not even sure who wrote it. Uh, probably Casting Crowds or something like that. But it talked about our life song, right? It wasn't just about the song, the words that we sing. It's about the life that we live. And so when we sing unto him, it should be what? The overflow of our lives. Another thing is giving money. Hello, somebody. Giving money, yeah. Giving money isn't just a preacher's, you know, thing. Y'all got to give money because, no, 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 no. Giving money is something that is a fruit of our lives. We give because of what? Because the gospel changed us. So write down Romans chapter 15, verse 26 to 28. We give to the work of the ministry. We give to those in need because of what? Because our lives have been changed. That's the fruit of our lives. Living a godly life, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. Living a godly life. Living a life that is separated from the sin of this world. Living a life that looks different than the world around you. Listen, that's, that's the fruit of your life. And then obviously the one that I think most of you are familiar with is Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 to 23 when it talks about the fruit of the spirit but that is what that is having a holy attitude that is having holy character is it not that's how that, that's how we are supposed to live for the glory of God how we are supposed to bear fruit for the glory of God we're supposed to honor God in those areas and that is what it means to bear spiritual fruit to be a person that is leading people to Jesus to be a person who is growing in their in their praise and their worship of God to be a person who is growing in their giving for the glory and for the honor of God to be a person who is growing in their godly living to be a person who is growing in their character a person who's growing in those things as a person who's doing what? Who's bearing fruit. The third thing there that you should be praying for someone else is for strengthened faith. How many of you need strength in your faith? Anyone? Why, why, why would the apostle Paul pray for strength and faith? Let's think about that. He says this in verse 11. He said, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. He says, strengthen with all might. You know why we need strength in our, in our, in our faith? is because following the will of God, obeying the will of God is tough sometimes. It's not always easy 
Some of us think, oh, well, I know what God's will is, and there's no price to pay. Listen, there's a price to pay when you follow God's will. There is a cost involved when you follow God's will. When you decide to say yes to Jesus, you are saying no to a bunch of other stuff. Hello. And so we need to pray for strength and faith. Knowing God's will and living out God's will require a strength and faith. Why? Because the enemy is on the attack. Are you here? The moment that you put your faith in Jesus, trust me, the enemy is coming to attack you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to hinder you. And so our strength is seen in what? How is our strength seen? Look at the second part of that verse there. He says, for all patience and long suffering with joy. Be strengthened for what? For all patience and long suffering with joy. And so those two words, patience and long suffering, those two words, they, they're, they're pretty similar in the Greek. But why does Paul put two different words or two words that are so similar in the same sentence? Because when we're dealing with patience, the thing of patience, we're dealing with difficult circumstances. Long suffering is for difficult people. So I need patience at work, right, at the, for, uh, for tasks that I am completing, for things that I am doing, you know, getting stuff done in my life, situations in my life. I need patience for that, but not for difficult people. Hello, somebody. All right, none of you are difficult in here ever, right? Difficult people, difficult people. We need to be long-suffering with them. And so that is how our strength is seen. So here's the question. The question is, how is it that we're seeing this? Is, it, is, it, is there joy in your long suffering? Is there joy in your patience? Hello, somebody. Right? What does that mean? I'm not talking about a smile. Listen, I don't smile a lot, I, and I, I think the older I get, I'll smile less. I don't know. But, the, you know, the reality is that I've never been like a big smiling kind of guy, like always with a smile on my face. Like that's never been who I am. And, I, you know, and oh, man, you just smile more. Why? I don't, you know, but it's not because I'm not happy. I just don't feel like smiling at that moment. That's just, that's just me, right? And so the thing that I'm saying is I'm not asking about the smile on your face because there's people that smile all the time and they're not happy. There's people that have smiles on their face. They're just faking. That's all it is. They don't want anybody to feel bad or anyone to know what they're really going through. And so the reality is that, is that we have to be those kind of people that are what? That are demonstrating this joy that comes from where? It comes from the Lord. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. What does that mean? That means that when I am doing something that is honoring to God, what does that do? When I'm doing something that is honoring to God, that brings joy to him. And when I bring joy to him, he releases strength in me. Are you here? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, and the last thing, look at verse 10. At the end of verse 10, even though that, that it's, it's sandwiched in there, the last part of verse 10 says, increasing in the knowledge of God. And so the four things that I say that we should be praying for one another is spiritual growth, a worthy walk, a strength in faith, and increased knowledge of who God is. As we walk in God's will, as we know what his will is, as we are strengthened by God to obey his will, you know what should be happening? Our knowledge of God should be growing. See, one of the things that I pray often whenever somebody's going through tragedy, whenever, some, whenever someone is going through something difficult, my prayer is always what? It is God, let this thing that they're going through draw them to you. Let this thing that they're experiencing, experiencing bring them closer to you, not further from you. Not draw them away from you, but bring them closer to you, to a greater knowledge of who you are. One of my pastor friends, I was sitting with him the other day. He has a counseling practice. He has a master's degree um, from RTS in counseling. He does counseling in his church. Uh, you know, that, that's his ministry in the church that he's there. And he said, man, let me tell you something. When I look in, in the darkness of people's lives, it is hard to see the goodness of God. Think about that. 
When I'm looking in the darkness of people's lives, it is hard to see the goodness of God. And here's the thing. He's a pastor. He's like, man, I don't doubt the goodness of God. He said, I know God is good. I know God is loving. I know God is gracious. But you remember the question that the Gnostics had? Remember we went over that? It is how could a good and holy God create a world in which there is evil? That's this question that's there. And it causes us to be what? To, to struggle and to wrestle. But here is what my prayer is and what our prayer should be for one another is that we would increase in the knowledge of God, not be turned away from God through difficulty. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, and we're getting ready to wrap up and say our unceasing prayer for others must be gospel-centered. I want you to look at verse 13 and look what it says here. It says, I'm sorry, verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. If you're the type of person that writes in your Bible and highlights, I'm going to ask you to write, to highlight, to circle, to underline that word qualified. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, he says, he has delivered. I'll ask you to highlight, underline, circle that word delivered. And then, and then it says, from the power of darkness and conveyed. And so circle that word conveyed or transferred or translated. Whatever that word is in your Bible, circle that word and highlight that word. Un us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption. Circle, highlight, underline that word redemption through his blood. The forgiveness, circle that, of sins. So when we look at the gospel and what the gospel does, it changes us. And I want you to notice what happens here. Paul is speaking in the beginning of this prayer. He is speaking in the second person. He is saying, I am praying for you. I am praying for you. I'm praying for you. We haven't ceased to pray for you. And then all of a sudden, he turns and he switches us around to the first person when he starts giving thanks. Because what happens is he gets a clear and crystal, he gets a moment where it's like his eyes are opened again to the reality of what Jesus has done for us. You see, when we're praying gospel-centered prayers, you know what they do? They remind us of this beauty. They remind us of what the Lord has done. They remind us of these things. The first thing it says here is that he has qualified us for an inheritance. How many of y'all know that you have been qualified? Oh, no, y'all ain't saying. Listen, how many of you understand what that means? You know, sometimes you get letters in the mail, right? And those letters say, you have been pre-qualified. How many of you know pre-qualified just means they know your name, a little bit of information about you, but you ain't been qualified for nothing? <laughs> Except to call them and be on the phone going around in circles with them. Are you here? That's all that is. And if you don't know that yet, try it. Go ahead. When you get that next pre-qualified letter in the mail, just call just for fun, just for laughs, just to prove whether I'm right or wrong. You haven't been qualified for anything until you go through the process, until you go, you answer all the questions that are there. And so your qualifications for a loan, a credit card, a vehicle, whatever it is for that free vacation, hello somebody, all of those qualifications are based upon what? Information about you. And can I tell you something? You and I, the word qualified there means to, me, to be made fit. You and I have been qualified because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's awesome. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have been qualified. God doesn't look at our qualifications. He looks at the one who is qualified for us. He looks at him. Jesus isn't the co-signer. He's the signer. Hello. 
You see, I figured this out. He says we've been qualified for an inheritance with the saints in the light. We have been qualified with them. We are going to experience this inheritance. We haven't received this inheritance. We're looking forward to this inheritance. Do you do anything to get an inheritance? Can you do anything? I don't think you do anything to get an inheritance. Someone else earned it. Someone else saved it. Someone else willed it to you. You know what you do? This is what you got to do. You need to show your identification. Hello, somebody. You need to sign a paper acknowledging I have received this inheritance. That is all that you do. You know what I realize about salvation? It is the same exact thing. That is what we do. Jesus did every single thing that needed to be done on the cross. We could never live the holy life. He did it. We would never be able to satisfy the justice of God. He did it. He lived perfectly. And then he died in our place. And that way we don't have to suffer an eternity separated from him. But we are able to do what? Experience this inheritance that God has for us that has been reserved for us according to other scripture and he qualified us for that. So when God looks at us, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus. You know, all we had to do was acknowledge I am a sinner. I need this savior. I cannot save myself. God, fill me with your spirit. That's all we did. We just acknowledge that. That's it. That's all we can do. That's what faith is. Are you here? Faith is an acknowledgement. Man, God, I I can't save myself. I can't do this. And so it says that he qualified us. Y'all ain't getting excited about that. So anyway, we'll move on to the next point. I got excited all by myself, but whatever. But, But we have been qualified for this inheritance, to be partakers of this inheritance. The second thing I want you to realize is this. He has delivered us. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. I love this picture. When I look up that word delivered, obviously it means to deliver. It means to set free. But it also means to draw one near to you. And when I saw this picture, I see this picture of a father rescuing a child from some kind of beating. A father rescuing a child from some type of imminent danger that is coming their way. A father stepping in the way, drawing that child toward themselves, grabbing them up in their arms. And that is what God the Father does through his son Jesus Christ to our lives. He delivers us from the power of darkness. He draws us into this relationship, brings us into this place where we can know him, we can walk with him. He does that. He delivers us. And so child of God, listen, if you're in here today and you say you put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know based on this scripture, you can never say the devil made you do it. Let me help you out. You can never say someone else made you do it. Are you here? Unless that someone else had a gun to your head and their attitude is not a gun. Their behavior is not a gun. Their words to you is not a gun. And so here is the reality. Why do I say that? Because you need to understand that you have not just been qualified for an inheritance, but you have been delivered from the power of darkness. What is he talking about? He's talking about the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness. He's talking about the slavery of bondage that we were once in under the, under the rule and the reign of Christ. Now, what does it say? He conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He didn't just deliver us and draw him to himself, but he removed us from this place and he brought us over here into a new place with a relationship and right standing with God. And he says, listen, this is who you are. This is where you are. And now you are here in this kingdom of my reign and my rule and my love and my power in your life. That is what Jesus does. And how does he do this? He does this because of those next words, because he has redeemed us by his blood. To redeem means what? It means to purchase On the cross, on the cross, Jesus purchased our qualifications. On the cross, Jesus purchased what? He purchased our deliverance. On the cross and in his resurrection, he purchased our transfer. Hello, somebody. 
He transferred us from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And what does he do? He offers us forgiveness of sins. That's what he does in the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel. That's why we need to be reminded of the gospel because we all need to recognize what? We need that gospel to keep us. Hello. We need that gospel to save us. And so as we are given to making disciples, our prayers must be gospel-centered because here's the beauty of this, is that when we pray prayers that are gospel-centered, you want to know what happens? We become more focused on the gospel. Our focus gets out of ourselves onto Jesus and what he's done for us. We are realigned in our thinking. We are able to come into the alignment with God's will and his purpose. And so my closing question is this, are you given to prayer for others? Are you given to prayer for others? Not, not, I, I was going to ask the question, are you given to prayer? But here's the thing. I, I, I don't want you to think about that. I want you to think about are you given to prayer for others? Do you care about other people in your prayers? When you pray, are you the only topic of conversation? When you pray, are your problems the only topic of conversation? When you pray, are your issues the only topic of conversation? Or are you praying for those around you? Are you praying for those brothers and sisters in Christ, these things? Are you praying for their strength? Are you praying for a strength in faith? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for them the way that the scriptures teach? Are you giving a prayer? If you're not giving a prayer, today is a day you say, God, I want to be given to prayer. Not just giving a prayer for myself, but I want to be given to prayer for others. So I'll stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you and we humble our hearts in your presence today. And we thank you so very much for your grace for your great love, for your great mercy. We thank you for your power and your presence that are evident and present in our lives. And we thank you for the truths of your word that are here. And I pray that we would be a people that are humbly acknowledging, Lord, the the need for us to be given to prayer, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. That we would recognize how badly Others need the power of your Holy Spirit in their lives. How badly others need to be awakened, Lord, to your truth. How badly others need to be strengthened in their faith. And that we would realize, God, that our prayers matter. That we would realize that our prayers are a part of what you're doing. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this place that does not know you today, I just pray that you would soften their heart to your truth. Soften their heart to your love. Soften their heart to your holiness. And let them turn today unto you. Let them call upon you and trust you with their lives. Let them acknowledge what you have done on the cross for them. I pray these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise.